How many people are excited to be here this morning? Make a little noise. Hey, we're excited that you're here. And, you know, we were preparing for this weekend and, and the service. And, uh, you know, I just kept thinking back to one moment in worship down at Powerhouse. It's, it's been eight or nine years ago now. And I remember the Lord just kind of worked on my heart right in the middle of a worship service. Has, has, anybody, ever, has anybody ever felt like that before? It's like, man, the Lord's just doing something in me. And it makes me excited to know that every time we come into this corporate form of worship, or even in your alone time, every time we come to worship God, we're, we're creating an atmosphere for God to do something in our lives. And, you know, we could sing a thousand songs, you could lift your hands for eternity, but that's not going to change your heart. But I want to tell you that in one moment, God can change someone's heart, and, and we can work for a lifetime and never fulfill that. You know what I'm talking about? God in one moment can do more than we can do in a lifetime. And as we continue in worship, I want to encourage you. We're not here to listen to music or, or listen to Pastor John speak. We're here to engage the real presence of a real God. And as we continue, let's just create an atmosphere of worship. Amen. Let's lift up our hearts to him. God, we thank you this morning. Come. 
Are you thankful for that this morning? We thank
were kind of practicing this song earlier. And it just made me think, you know, every time we go on a mission trip all around the world, it's crazy to see how many different languages this song is translated into. And I love it because it's, it's simple, but my favorite word of this entire song is it. It says, let it rain. And everyone that comes in here today, you have a different story. You have different things that you're going through this week. But I want to tell you, whatever it is that you need, God can supply your need this morning. So if you need some confidence, if you need provision, if you need grace, if you need something in your life, I'm telling you, God's saying, man, I have this in my hands, and I'm just waiting for you to say, Lord, you're my provider. Lord, you're where my grace comes from. Lord, you are the one that I need. You're the one that I call on. And this, this morning, I want to actually invite our prayer team down front. And as they come, if any of these words are kind of ringing in your heart and you're saying, you know, right now, I, I do need provision. Right now, yeah, I do need a little confidence. Whatever the, whatever the case may be for you, we want to agree with you in prayer. We love the opportunity to pray with you. So if you need prayer, we want to invite you down at this time. If you want to agree for someone else, we invite you down at this time. But if that's not you this morning, I want to continue to create this atmosphere of worship. And whatever it is that you need, God's got it. Amen. Amen. Let's lift it up. Every voice, every heart, let's sing that out. So let it rain. Twas grace, twas grace that taught my 
I close my eyes to
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. We are approaching the deadline to register to vote. If you haven't registered yet, don't miss out on this opportunity. Voter registration is in the foyer. Register today. Rahab's Retreat, a home for women in sex trafficking, domestic abuse, and drug rehabilitation, is having its grand opening Sunday, October 9th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. in Kilgore, Texas. There will be a missions-minded casserole sale after each service. Purchase a delicious casserole and support missions. Make the shift to Saturday night service. This weekend was family movie night outside, and next weekend, we will be hanging out at Jason's Deli after service. Join us and make the night shift to free up seats on Sundays for visitors. Are you looking to get more connected to the life of the church? Well, our Connect class is a four-week class on Wednesday nights at 6.30 in the Connect Cafe. Join us this week as we go over our beliefs and spiritual disciplines necessary for an effective Christian life. We love our pastors because they genuinely share themselves with us and they live what they preach. I love my pastors because they're real. They're real people with real struggles. They don't try to pretend that we don't have problems. They have problems like the rest of us. And they teach us through God's word the truth about how to handle our struggles. I love my pastors be because they're funny and I love them. I love my pastors because they're not just my pastors. They're my friends. We love our pastors because they're awesome and they lead by example. I love my pastors because they teach me about the Lord and they're awesome. I love my pastors because they're cool, they're nice, and they're good. I love our pastors because they are just really awesome people. And when you think about your pastors, you think about people that 
you would like to serve. But when I, when I think about our pastors, they are such servants, all of them. And it doesn't matter um, what the problem is, what the situation is. Uh, the first thing they usually say is, how can I help? And I can think back when I um, first came to this church, um, God had placed it on my heart to become a foster parent. And when I was at a church prior to here, and I had I was all excited because God had told me that, and they were just like, oh, really? You're gonna do that? And so when I came here, um, I was very hesitant to tell anybody um, that I was planning to become a foster parent. And when Pastor Linnell found out, she was just like, more excited than I was and she was like oh my goodness that is so great how can we help and it was the first thing out of her mouth and through the years that I have been here that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth um, anytime a situation comes up they are so quick to say how can I help they are all about servant serving and therefore it makes us want to serve so we love our pastors because they are just awesome I love my pastors because they're just so darn cute and some of them can preach I love my pastors because they're truly about discipling people. I love my pastors because they believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. I love my pastor because he teaches me about Jesus. I love my pastors because I know that they love me, not in just what they say, but in what they do. Through the difficult times of my life, pastors always been there reaching out and talking to me and loving on me and just making sure that things were okay. And I know that they just not only love me, but they love my family. My family loves this church, and I love this church, and I love my pastors. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You have better things to do. It doesn't really count. It doesn't even make a difference. What's one vote in the grand scheme of things? What's one little vote? It's just one. About 50% of Christians in America aren't even registered to vote. So why bother? Why bother? Why bother? And about half of them don't even show up on election day. So why should you? After all, who cares about the future of American families? Who cares about my education? Who cares about religious freedom? Who cares about the life of the unborn? Who cares about the world you're leaving your children? I do. I do. I care. I care. And I'm not going to sit around and do nothing and call myself a Christian. Voting is a privilege that I take seriously. And every single vote counts. If every Christian would register and then actually vote in the general and primary elections, we could flood Washington with men and women who actually care about our values, beliefs, and convictions. We could restore America back to her moral foundation. We could make a huge difference. A huge difference. A huge difference. But you know what? Don't worry about it. It's just my future. Wasn't worship great today? You know, the word's going to be great too, but just great to come together as a family and be able to worship together like this. I mean, it's great to have it online, but there's nothing like being together as a family in that corporate worship. Amen. 
you know, a reminder again, this weekend is the last chance you get to register. So if you haven't registered votes, check out in the foyer. They'll help you get taken care of and because you want to let your voice be heard. Amen. Continue to worship with our tithes and offerings. I want you to think about your finances a minute. If your finances were a garden, what would it look like? I mean, would it be a healthy, abundant garden? Would it be uh, a bunch of weeds in it? Would it be a garden where there's, you know, you got some fruit and produce, but it seems like the varmints come in and take most of what you have and you don't have anything left? You know, Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he came that you might have life and you might have life more abundantly. You know, he wants you to have an abundant life. I believe in your finances. And I see those that honor God first with that 10%, that he just has a way to make that 90% go farther. Like he says in Malachi, when you tithe, he'll rebuke the devourer. He'll keep the varmints and the rabbits and the deers out of your garden, whatever it is that seems to take it. And I'm just proud to be part of a church that you can tell it's a tithing church because the offerings that come in, uh, first of all, for missions, it's just been amazing. In India, what we did there, but I was away last week, and I heard when Jay Threadgill was here, he made a plea for the children in uh, Haiti, and our church came up with almost $11,000 in one service. I mean, just to, I mean, give God glory. Amen? And what's amazing is not only we send that food down, it happened to be just right before that hurricane hit, and so God knew they needed that provision. And so... Um, because devastation in the southern part, Port-au-Prince was spared, but some of their other churches were hit hard, so I know that food will be handy. And also something else, uh, go on a mission trip sometime. I mean, it's just amazing the people that come back if you get a chance, but if you can't go, pray for those that are going or support them with your finances. One way to do that is buy a casserole for the mission mine and Linnell's taking a team to Mexico, so not only get to bless the missionaries, you get to have some good food. That's kind of a win-win, isn't it? Hey, what do you say uh, before we receive the offering? We just make a declaration for abundance in our church finances, for abundance in your finances. On the count of three, let's say abundant life. One, two, three. Abundant life. Amen. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who 
people believe that this morning. We want to invite you to have a seat. We have a quick video for you guys this morning. The Miracle Wilderness Boy gets a hero's welcome on his first day back at school. He's given a kiss by a teacher and gets high fives as he walks. Can you believe this? A special red carpet laid out in front of the school. At the end, Malachi Bradley is swarmed by classmates who even chant his name as they head to their lessons. Video of 10-year-old Malachi's rescue after he was separated from his family in the Utah backcountry warmed hearts across America. His parents' emotions spilled over. Malachi! So how did Malachi survive? With survival tips he'd been taught by his dad, Danny. I probably wouldn't have been here if he didn't teach me that. Here's one amazing technique. Malachi knew he could use his hoodie to filter muddy lake water and turn it into drinking water. I'd get this part and just suck out of it. He also did this to survive the bitterly cold night. He drew his legs and arms inside his T-shirt. And then I put my feet in and put my head in as well to keep all the warmth in. Malachi was rescued by searchers in a helicopter. Now he's back home with mom and dad. He has just a few scrapes to show for his brush with danger. His parents are just happy to have him back safe and sound. I was not going to have to bury my baby. I was so happy to have my baby back, and that was that was a pretty that was a good day. Now it's time for a bit of VIP treatment from his classmates and teachers at Seagull Lily Elementary School outside Salt Lake City. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Malachi can give them lessons, lessons in survival. Well, I think Malachi would make a good duck hunter. <laughs> you know, I show that to you, not just as a heartwarming story, but we've been doing a series called Not Your Average Joe. It's been about the Old Testament character Joseph, and he shows us how to live an extraordinary life. And I want to suggest to you that Joseph had the same thing this little 10-year-old boy had. He had survival skills. Now, we're going to talk about Joseph's story, but Joseph was a young man of 17. God gave him a dream that he would impact the world, but he went through 13 years of extreme hardship, but yet he kept his faith in God because he had what I'm calling survival skills. Let's read his story. Genesis chapter 41. Now, mind you, Joseph is 30 and he's in prison. And how many know most people in prison don't have a great attitude? Anybody work in the penal system? You know, anybody been in jail? <laughs> I mean, people in prison don't have a great attitude. Everybody wants out. Everybody hates the guard, and the foods are always terrible. But guess what? Joseph is there, and he's going to have an amazing uh, 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 moment this day unlike any day in his whole life. Genesis 41, verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Uh, how many know God can turn our situations around quickly? It can come in a sudden moment of time. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. Now Pharaoh, again, he's kind of like a super president of all of Egypt and, and arguably the world in some respect. But he said, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
Now hold on right there just a minute because I'm going to suggest to you this is the most defining moment of this man's life and he had no idea it was coming. That morning when he got up in jail, he'd been there several years. We know it was longer than two, we're not sure how long, but he'd been in jail several years and every morning he'd got up pretty much was the same, but this morning was, had the potential to change not only his life, but the destiny, and he had no idea of the entire Jewish race. He was going to become the one that would take care literally of the world in a great famine, and God was going to use him. But I want to suggest to you what came out of his mouth suggests that he had survival skills. I've heard you can interpret a dream, and he said, I cannot do it, but God, will you say it with me? But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, here's the question. How in the world could you go through 13 years? Now, think about this. He was a favored child, which means he had the best of everything. How many know if you don't have anything and the next day you don't have anything, you're kind of used to it. But Joseph went from having everything, being a favored child, to having nothing. His brothers threw him in a pit. Uh, They sold him as a slave. He didn't have any family, any friends. He's in prison several times. He does nothing wrong, but yet he's able to maintain faith in God. Come on. He has no Bible. He has no K-Love music. He has no Christian fellowship. He's got no Christian Facebook page to go to. He's got no church to attend. Nobody even worships his God, but somehow he had nurtured in the private place of his heart a strong faith in God as he went through a long period of time waiting for God to help him. Well, again, I'm going to suggest to you that just as Joseph made it for those 13 years and his faith was strong, you and I can have survival skills to help us when we go through difficulties in life. Maybe you're standing today believing God for God to restore your marriage or you've got a wayward child waiting for that child to come back. How many know things can happen that can just make us feel just like that, but yet God can give us strength to be able to survive the pressures, the disappointment, the patience, the waiting, and come out strong on the other side. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, survival skills. Um, The sad thing is we don't know how Joseph did it. Uh, Again, he didn't have a Bible, he didn't have a church, but we do have the pages of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to show you uh, six different skills, and they're worth writing down because you may be in a long-term situation where you need to keep faith, or it could be a short-term crisis. I'm going to move from Joseph to David, and David was a man that had a short-term crisis that lasted a couple days that was pivotal and could have literally stopped the momentum of his life, but he connected to God in the midst of the crisis and went forward because he too had survival skills. So let's explore it this morning. Uh, We're going to go to 1 Samuel 30. Let's begin with David. Now, David, he is, he is arguably one of the greatest kings in all Israel's history. The, even the scripture describes him as a man after God's own heart. But he's anointed to be the king of Israel, but yet now he's in the wilderness running away from King Saul. And David and his men arrived home at a place called Ziklag, and they found the Amalekites had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. Now, I want you to imagine just a moment you're going home after church. I live out in Redwater. Uh, sometimes from Texarkana, I can even see a, 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 a fire billowing smoke coming in the air. But you're coming down 67 in my case, and you see smoke rising in the air, and you get to wondering, well, as you turn on my road 1214, you see it kind of in the direction, and your heart starts beating faster and says, surely not. And you burn up, come up in the driveway, and your home is burned to the ground. But not only is your home burned to the ground, verse 2 said they carried away the women and children. 
Now, fortunately, no one was killed, but imagine you get home, your wife's not there, your, your, your husband's not there, your kids are not there, your dog, your cat, everything you own is gone, your family's gone, and the Bible says, verse 4, something we can only imagine, they wept until they could weep no more. Now, I don't know if you have had something happen to you. Maybe someone that you love dearly died unexpectedly. Uh, maybe your stock that was way up here, all of a sudden something happened, and the next day it's way down here. But something touches your heart in a deep fashion. It just sneaks up on you, just like this did David. Verse 6, it got worse. David was in great danger because all his men began to talk about stoning him. Now, how many know if you're in a crisis, if you have some unexpected emergency, let's say someone dies, people flood your home, they come to you in the, in the, in the, in the memorial service, they hug you, they bring food, they're there, you know, I mean, you just are surrounded by people. But here's a guy that goes through a crisis and nobody's with him, he's all by himself. What in the world is this, gonna man, what is this man going to do? And again, I suggest to you, he's just like Joseph. It's a defining situation that what happens next could determine his entire future. Because like Joseph in prison, if Joseph had, a, had a, a, a woke up that morning mad at God and angry because of what was happening in his life, he perhaps wouldn't have had the same results with Pharaoh. But look at these few words that uh, the Scriptures say next. After the men are going to stone him, the Bible says, David, say it with me, found strength in the Lord his God. Come on, let's say it again. David found strength in the Lord his God. Nothing else. He didn't have a Bible like we do. He, his friends were not there. But something about his personal relationship with God. And let me tell you, friends, God does not want to be the man upstairs. He doesn't want to just be the creator. He doesn't want to just be far away. He wants to be near, and he wants to be especially near if there's a crisis. David made a connection with God. Again, we don't know what he did, but it gives us hope today. How many know if God did it for David and God did it for Joseph, then God can do it for me when I go through these situations? Yeah, that's the way I read my Bible. I'm trying to see how I can put myself into the, into the shoes of the, of the, of the, of the uh, participants in Scripture. But verse 8, David's collected now. He talks to the priest, and he, he, said, he asked the, the, the Lord through the priest, Should I chase after this band of raiders? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You're going to recover everything that was taken from you. Now, how many know that's a good word? So here in the dark moments of his life, God spoke. And can I tell you, God still wants, God wants to speak to you and God wants to speak to me in the dark moments of our life. In those times of life when a crisis is upon us, count you glad that God still is speaking God. Come on, somebody say, say praise the Lord. Now, with that background of a crisis and a long-term struggle, let's look now at six survival skills. I, I don't have time to go deeply in any of them, but, but I want to uh, share each one of them because they're just as valuable as each piece of the apple pie. How many know what I'm talking about? All pieces are good and they all need to be eaten. Here's the first one, Psalm 77. I want you to say this with me. Remember what God has done. Remember, a look back. Psalm 77, it begins this way, and we'll kind of condense the, the, the longer passage. He said, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Now, how many know that's a good thing? So his troubles, his pressures, and verse 6, he goes on, and he said, let me remember, here's the key word, let me remember when my nights were filled with joyful songs. In other words, there was a time in my life when things were great, but it's not like that now. He says, now I'm searching my soul and I'm trying to figure out what's happening. I'm pondering the difference. 
And he asked the question, will the Lord reject us forever and never again be favorable? Ever feel like that sometimes and trouble is in your life? And you know, in church, somebody says, God is good. And somebody else says, all the time. And then you feel like, well, golly, God's not very good right now. No, your circumstances are not good, but God is still good. See, we forget the source of evil. Yesterday, uh, Linda uh, um, Threadgill was still in our home, missionaries from Haiti. And again, let me say, I was visiting family last weekend, but one of the most proud moments of my pastoring here are times like last Sunday when there's a call to feed poor children and uh, uh, $11,000 was given to do that. I'm going to tell you, that made me proud. Well, then the hurricane swing, swings through uh, Haiti and Linda comes in the room just before I left church last night and starts crying and hugging my wife. And she said, Port-au-Prince, where our church is, did great, but the southern part of the island was devastated. Uh, the storm surge came in, and in many places there's nothing standing. And we had six churches that we'd helped build and, and support in our network down there. How in the world can God be good and that still happen? i tell you, friend, it's very, very simple. When God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat this fruit, you'll surely die. They had no idea that when they opened the door to evil, it was going to afflict the human race in the way that it's done. The Bible says Satan's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but God's come to give us life. So in a world that's filled with evil, somehow we have to find that God is still good, and one way to do that is to remember what God has done. Listen to what David said, uh, the psalmist, has God forgotten to be gracious to us? Are his promises at an end for all time? In other words, can I not trust the Bible? Can I not trust God? Does he not care? Now listen to what he says. He said in verse nine, has, uh, verse 11, I remember what the Lord did. I'm looking backwards at his faithfulness. I remember what the Lord did. I remember the miracles you did long ago. And now listen to the shift, verse 13. God, your ways are holy. No God is as great as you are. You're the God who does miracles, and you've shown people your power. Now, listen, this is worth remembering. Remembering what God did yesterday will give you hope for tomorrow. Let me say it again. Remembering what God did yesterday. You remember how we started out? He's talking about his troubles. And then he looks back and he remembered what God did in his life. And all of a sudden, he changes. His prayer changes from this anguish and to this sense of God is still with me and God is still on my side. How many know you can go in your prayer closet discouraged and depressed, but when you reflect on what God's done for you, how many know you can come out with hope and believing that God is still good and God's going to help you? We apply this in our family. My daughter, Rebecca, she's 16. Uh, tell your neighbor and need to pray, pray for the preacher's daughter. She, she, for the preacher, actually. She's a good one. But I'm going to tell you what. Uh, it's challenging when your daughter has the car keys. And she goes out on adventure. If your parent knows what it's like when uh, they're on adventure and they don't answer the phone call, they don't answer the text, come on. And you can't figure out how to find out or how to, how to use the uh, WhatsApp app or whatever it is to kind of figure out where the, where the iPhone is. You, you don't know where she is. The light's still on in the hall that she's supposed to turn off. Well, how many know you can live in fear if you're not careful? Yeah. And whenever I have fearful times about Rebecca, I think of the day of her birth. The day of, uh, it was our third child. Uh, it was a Sunday morning, and we got up for church. And Linnell said, I think my water broke, but I'm not sure. And she's a pro by now. It's her third baby. We, she got up for church, and she said, ah, I think I'll just kind of you know, ride it out here. Well, I'll probably go in tomorrow. Maybe she had an appointment on Monday or Tuesday. Well, lo and behold, 
she fortunately, a nurse friend said, no, no, you're going to go down to the hospital. So she goes to the hospital, and they say, ah, she's, listen, she's going to be late afternoon before she has that baby. Tell your preacher, her husband to preach his sermon and then come on down. You're going to be fine. They gave her a drug to induce labor, and immediately the, uh, Rebecca went into cardiac, you know, the problems because the cord was wrapped around her neck. They did an emergency C-section, and she came out happy and healthy and strong. Now, look, I'm grateful for a doctor, but here's what I realized. I realized there was a grace on that day because there was a pivotal moment when we were just probably going to stay home, but yet because we went in and pursued it, that child was not born with brain damage. Come on, that child was not born with, 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 with a, a, a deformity or deficiency, and there was a sense that God's hand is on this little girl's life. Well, that same God, when I tend to look into the future and want to worry, I look back in the past. Come on. And it gives me a sense of hope. Give, give the Lord a good hand today. Remember what he's done. Here's another one. Believe what God has promised. So not just looking back, looking ahead. How many believe God still speaks today? Boy, I do too. God, I, I couldn't survive without not just the knowledge, but the experience of a speaking God. Uh, let me read you a passage. I allude to this often, but I ran across this in my studies this week, and I want to share it with you. 2 Samuel chapter 18. The context is David is now king. He has a son, Absalom, that has started a revolt, and he's trying to steal the kingdom away. Absalom is killed, and a runner brings back a message. And this runner, his name is Ahimez. He cries out to King David, all is well. All is well. Everything is all right. Now, that story was totally disconnected from my life and what was going on. But I share this by way of illustration. I looked in my Bible and I wrote on December 17th, 2012. That was the day that the next day Linnell was going to Baylor for, to figure out what was going to happen with her breast cancer. It was like we had 10 days when, you know, life was just uncertain and fearful and confused. But I was reading the Bible, and though this verse contextually didn't apply to my situation, it was not a verse that I looked up or Googled, but it was like God spoke to me through the Bible. How, how many have had something like that happen in your life? And it's like I knew because I was able to, I felt differently after that. My faith was different. It wasn't a desperate grab, but God had spoken to me and given me an anchor to hold on to. And I'm telling you, my life has been lived by hearing the word of the Lord. I had a prophecy confirming going into the ministry that set me on a course. God spoke to my heart in the stillness of a drive from Palestine, Texas to here. The first, uh, the first sermon I preached in this church, God told me, you're going to come and pastor this church. My life has been lived hearing the word of the Lord. And I want to suggest to you, a word from God can still any storm in life. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. A word from God can give you hope for the future. And I suggest to you, it was the word from God that Joseph got when he was 17, a dream that his brothers would bow down. Come on, that's something that guided him all the days. Somebody say praise the Lord this morning. So not only remember what he did, but believe what he's promised to do. And here's another one. It's from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. Cultivate a thankful attitude. Now, I want you to stay with me on this one. Habakkuk chapter 3 is an interesting little book. It's three chapters long. 
It's written to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been deported to Babylon. But now there was a, a sense that in Judah it's going to happen to us. It's going to happen quickly. Uh, there's turmoil. The Assyrians are going to come and they're going to take us away. And if you were to read the first couple verses of the book of Habakkuk, you would find the words of a, of a, of a disturbed man. It is a man asking God, why is this happening? I don't know what to do. All I see out in the world is darkness. Have you ever gone through a dark tunnel and you're wondering, is it ever going to end? But finally, light comes out on the other side. Well, this is his journey. And I want to read the last couple verses of this book. And he says this. He says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there's no grapes on the vines. Now think about this. These are people that live, survive by the food they grow. The fields lie empty and barren. The flocks dying in the field. The cattle barns are empty. It's like saying the shelves at Albertsons are no more. It's like saying the Walmart trucks have stopped coming. McDonald's no longer has Happy Meals. Come on, life is really, I mean, trouble is around the corner. It's, it's a dark tunnel as far as he can see ahead. But what does he say in verse 18? Yet, say it with me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And then he says it again, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. In other words, everything may be going bad, everything may be wrong, but I'm making a choice. I'm finding something in God, just like David did. He strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to be joyful. In verse 19, his declaration says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And the picture is this wild animal that's able to climb up or down a, a, a mountain cliff that you and I could never go up or down or barely with a rope and this animal God's equipped to do it here's what he's saying he's saying listen it may look bad in the future but guess what God is still God and God is a good good God and I don't know about you but as I look into the future of America politically I don't see much that makes me very very excited I'm telling you I, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna do an election message before early voting but I'm not sure even how to present it because the closer we get to the day of the election, the more garbage we hear about the people that want to lead our country. Are, are, are you with me today? Well, listen, somehow we've got to see beyond that. We've got to see that, that, that there are values and stands, not just their own character flaws that they stand for. And our vote may be not just be being good and bad. It may be between bad and worse. But nonetheless, God is still God in America. There is, not, there is light at the end of our tunnel. And I want to tell you, I don't care what happens on election day. When I get up the next morning, listen, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised because the earth is the Lord's, come on, and the fullness thereof. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about a thankful attitude. I'm telling you, we practice this in our home. My wife had to go through. I wish I could tell you that God miraculously healed my wife. But he used the skill of doctors to be able to, to, to help her. And, and, and they had to remove some of the lymph nodes in her surgery. And now that she's concerned, you know, her arm could swell with lymph fluid. So you may notice sometimes she wears a little sleeve. She's not just trying to be cool. She doesn't want her arm to swell. And sometimes at home, like the doctors told her, you can only pick up 15 pounds. And she's thinking, what am I going to do when my grandbaby becomes 16 pounds? We don't have one yet. I'm looking for one, by the way, if you happen to... Have a good one. Let me. Anyway, and I can tell when, she, when she's like that. And it's just discouraging. I hurt here, and I need to see the therapist. 
But in the midst of it, we stop and we look at each other, and either she says it or I says it, but we say, here's what we say. We say, praise the Lord, though you're alive. I wish, I wish I wasn't where I am. I wish there was figs on the tree. I wish there were cattle in the stall. But nonetheless, God is still God, and he's a good God, and I'm going to praise him. I'm telling you, this attitude is a way of life. Rebecca came home the other day in her little cute little car. There was a, a big cone on the interstate that had fallen, you know, from where it should be, and, and it was in the lane. And fortunately, she, she didn't, you know, try to swerve and miss it, but she whacked it, and it kind of dinged her car a little bit. And uh, we were looking at it, and I could tell she felt bad. It was going to cost money, and she was apologetic. And I said, honey, don't worry about it. Listen, praise the Lord, you're alive. Praise the Lord, the car didn't flip over. Praise the Lord, it's just stuff. And what matters more than this car is you. I'm telling you, that attitude, praise the Lord, in the midst of the difficulty, will help you, come on, ride like wings of an eagle on the midst of your problems. Yeah, come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now, this next one, I, I want to challenge you in your thinking, many of us today. Uh, I, I, I simply call this one, deepen your prayer life. Would you agree with me that we can have a, a shallow uh, uh, kind of feeling-oriented prayer life? Or we can have more of a deep, spirit-directed, spirit-controlled prayer life? Uh, yeah. Pastor Jay was here, and I was visiting with him last Sunday, and I was kind of complaining a little bit about these kind of anxiety issues that, that just still pop up in my life sometimes. And, and I'd gone last week, and I was farming with my dad and brother, and it was really dusty, and it was kind of affecting my you know, sinuses, and, and my ears were ringing. And, 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 he, and he said, well, he said, well when, you really, when, it, when it starts to press on you and that issue, he said, he said, do you pray in the Spirit more? And I got convicted. Because I pray in the Spirit, but I was not using a tool that God had designed for me, come on, that was going to, intended to help me in the way that I should. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm on the farm, and, and, and they, they've got these big old combines, and I don't know, let's say the combine's 30 feet, 30 feet, yeah, yeah it's about maybe 30 feet wide, uh, the, the head of that thing. But the blades, and it's got this long cutter bar, and it's got blades that are about three inches wide. So how many know you can get a lot of three-inch blades on this long bar? Well, each one of them have two bolts that hold it on, and periodically you have to change all of them. Well, when I was in my early days and we'd farm, we pretty much just had an open-ended wrench, and that's how you had to take each one of these bolts off, and the bolts are half worn down, and you know, they break and all that kind of stuff. Well, in a good day, you might have a ratchet wrench. I mean, guys know what I'm talking about, and that helps you go a little quicker, but when I watch my nephew, he's got an air gun, and he pulls his truck up to it, and that air gun goes... And it's just zipping those things off. Well, how many know you can have that tool in the toolbox but not use it? And you can spend all your time going, mm, 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 mm. well, this is where we're going with this. Deepen your prayer life. Let me give you a scripture too. Jude chapter 20. But you, beloved, what's it say? Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do you do it? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, how many would say Joseph in prison, David in crisis, you and I in our troubles, how many know we need to be encouraged, we need to be lifted up? Well, here's, this is, a, this is a, 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 a survival skill, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is not an isolated verse. Uh, Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times, how? Well, would it be fair to say that I can 
pray in the Spirit or pray out of the Spirit? And I don't mean against the will of God, but I mean simply through my own perceptions, through my own feelings. But God's saying there's something spiritual that can happen. Now, commentators universally agree what this says, but they vastly disagree on what it means and how we do it. What it says is uh, when we pray in the Spirit, it means in the control of the Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. All this is talking about Spirit-filled or Spirit-controlled prayer. And every Christian on the planet would agree at that point. But then when we say, how do we do it, here's where we vastly disagree. There are those that believe that, that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, gifts, for example, like the gift of prophecy, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, uh, uh, that stopped uh, when the Scripture was brought together, when the Scriptures was codified or, or when, the, when the apostles died. Other, they would be called non-charismatic or non-Pentecostal, cessationist, dispensationalist. Others believe that these supernatural parts of the Bible in terms of the relationship of the Holy Spirit is still available for us today. That would be the charismatic, the Pentecostal, the, the full gospel, the spirit-filled sign. And I want to suggest to you that the, how we interpret these verses and the commentators that we would read are dependent on whether we believe the Holy Spirit can still do this in our lives today. Now, it's one thing to have theology, but it's another thing when you get an experience and need God to do something. Let me read a verse to you, and I want to provoke you in thinking about this. 1 Corinthians 14, that whole chapter, and I wish I had more. I've done whole, uh, whole messages on this topic. Uh, we actually have a class called, um, it's about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night where you can learn more. But 1 Corinthians 14 says, The one who speaks in a tongue or, or in an unlearned language, a, a spiritual language, I'll suggest to you praying in the Spirit, what's the Bible says he does? He Now, how many could say that's got to be a good thing? Whatever it may, it's got to be a good thing. Now, I realize many of us have come, have come from traditions where we were taught that that's not for today. Maybe you've seen some of the weirdness or some of the extremes. Uh, I've seen it too, but can I tell you, some of the most spiritual people I've ever met in my life are people that, that, that have what they call, the Scripture calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They endeavor to pray in the Spirit on a regular basis, and they're some of the most spiritually minded people I've ever met. The, the Scripture talks about praying in this spiritual language, building ourselves up. And he says in verse 14, if I pray like this, if I pray in this, in this spiritual tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? I don't, can't always figure it out what, what I'm praying, but the Holy Spirit's letting my spirit pray. Now, I've got to be honest with you, that's over my head. I'm aware of my mind, my rational processes. I'm aware of my feelings, my emotions, but I don't, I, I, I'm not fully in touch with my spirit. We are a spirit being, but we really don't understand this. But God's saying there's a way the, spirit can, uh, the Holy Spirit can help us pray at this level. This is this deeper level praying. Verse 15 says, what am I to do? And Paul says boldly, I'm going to pray with my spirit, but I'm also going to pray with my mind. I'm going to pray down the prayer list, but I'm also going to go deeper, come on now, and let the Holy Spirit pray in His supernatural language through me. And I simply share this. I don't have time to say more. But listen, if you, have, if you understand this, if you practice this, let me encourage you, practice it a little more when you get in trouble. 
If it's new to you, let somebody pray for you. Go back into the book of Acts. Look at this chapter and read deeper with the, with the, with the, with the perspective. God, I just ask you to make this real to me. Let's keep going. I want to give you two more. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is seek out. Everybody say seek out. Seek out Christian fellowship. In 2 Corinthians 7, now this is written by Paul, the great apostle. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, he was the man that planted the church in the Gentile people. And he said, we, we face conflict from every direction. Battles on the outside and fear on the inside. You ever been there? It's almost like you're feeling like all hell's breaking loose against me. Well, even spiritual people had this happen. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Now, what does this mean? How many know it's hard to keep faith in strong times? But Paul needed other Christians to help lift him up. And how many know if Paul needed other Christians in his life, so do we. I'm telling you, friends, you, you, living an isolated Christian life can only make the tunnel darker. But I'm telling you, this is one of the great values. This is why the Scripture encourages us to be committed in local churches. This is why we have life groups and fellowship groups and ministry teams so that we can have people that walk the journey with us. When I was talking to my friend, Pastor Jay, and, and, and just some of my struggles, and he said, well, listen, I tell you what, when you start feeling this pressure again and this anxiety and this darkness getting on you, I just want you to text the word pray to me, and I'm going to know what it means. Come on now, and I'm going to stand in prayer for you. And I had a couple other people come up to me and say, I'd like to do the same. Well, I'll tell you what, when you know people are praying for you, come on, something, listen, faith grows in your heart. But even Jesus said, where two or more of you agree is touching anything, I'm going to do it for you. Listen, we forget sometimes that our battle is not just a physical battle. It's not just with, you know, hormones and cells and blood flow and, and genetics and all that. But there's a spiritual dynamic at work in, in our lives against us. There's an unseen spiritual war. And I'm telling you, friends, Christians have the ability to lift us up and help us walk when we can't make it on our own. I mean, listen, we're like a squad of soldiers fighting, you know, in Iraq or fighting in Vietnam or fighting in Afghanistan. We're like a SEAL team out there on the front, and one of us gets shot, we get hurt, and we can't run like the rest of the guys. So, so we get one guy on each side, and they pull us along to make the journey. But how many know the natural thing to do is when I'm going through a dark place is to withdraw? Naturally, I don't want to answer the text. I don't want to answer the phone call because maybe I'm upset with God. I don't understand what's going on. I'm telling you, friend, get over it and reach out to a Christian because a Christian will lift you up in your dark hour. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah, I want to close with this and, and then we'll pray. we'll pray. The sixth thing, meditate on God's Word. What do I mean by that? This word meditate, if you know anything about cattle and how a cow eats, a cow, they, they call it chewing her cud. Sounds pretty gross, but when this cow chews grass in her digestive system, it goes through a process where this grass kind of just gets keep chewed on and chewed on and chewed on and chewed on. And I'm going to suggest to you now, as I talk about meditating on God's Word, the written Word of God, let me tell you how it works in my life. When I feel like I can't make it, and I've been there. How about you? 
Uh, you just feel like you can't go on sometimes. Philippians 1.6 says this, He who began the good work in me will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, I have gotten out of the bed some mornings and, 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 and started saying that just when I woke up because I didn't feel like I could make my day. But God, come on, He's going to help complete the work in me. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, if God's led you to be on the cross-country team or God's leading you to be involved in an exercise program, you're ready to quit after the first little bit. But listen, if God's pulling you along, I'm telling you, you can believe that God's going to help you. But it's not just saying it. I just say it like that cow chewing her cud. And as long as it's difficult, as long as it's hard, it's like something that helps hold you up and pull you out of the ditch, something to hold on to. How about when you're afraid? I mean, you may be Mr. Tough Guy, but I'll tell you what, when you leave the, the waiting room and go in the surgery suite and they're uh, pushing you away by yourself, you don't have your mama and you don't have your wife to hold your hand. Are you with me today? But I, Isaiah 41.10, it says this, Fear not, God says, because I am with you. Fear not, because God is with me. And if that is rolling around on the inside of you, if you are meditating on that word, it is fighting. Come on, every statistic you read about how many people die from the surgery you're going through and what happened to your Uncle Ed when the anesthesiologist didn't know what they were doing. Come on now. And fear is growing inside you. But how many know you can combat it with faith and confidence in God's word? And this meditation helps us declare it. Come on, it's true now. When you don't know what to do in your life, when you're seeking direction, you don't know which, which way to make. Maybe you have, you've applied for every job you know to apply for and nothing's coming up. You don't know how to get your marriage fixed. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is just rolling around on the inside. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. I'm telling you, it may look confusing out there, but I'm telling you as you meditate on that, the fog will begin to lift. And you can make a better business decision, you can make a better decision for your family because the peace of God will guide you. And I want to tell you, meditating on the Word of God is a survival skill. It worked, Lord. It's worked for other people. And how many can believe it'll work for us as well? Give the Lord a good hand today. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to close with prayer this morning. But I want to pause just a minute to, to ask you to think about what we heard this morning. Because here's what I know. We're going to leave this building and we're going to go back out and face a world where some of those problems and giants are still out there. It could be a crisis. It could be something that happened Friday and you know you got to deal with it tomorrow. It could be a Joseph thing that's been working for a long, long time. But my friends, I'm telling you, God can give you survival skills just like he did Joseph and just like he did David. And you can come out and it can become your finest hour. But as you're looking how to survive, I suggest to you the first thing to do is remember what God has done. Pause in, in your prayer time. Take a prayer walk. And just begin thinking about the goodness of God about little cords wrapped around heads and about cars that are broken down but not wrecked and destroyed. Come on, think about what God has done and then look ahead to what God has promised. Because when God speaks, friends, 
gives you something to hold on to the, for the future. Remember what he's done. Believe what he's promised. Cultivate a thankful attitude. Don't let complaining define you. Cultivate a thankful attitude. It will release faith in your heart. Deepen your prayer life. Somehow this idea of praying in the Spirit, praying under the control of the Spirit, praying guided by the Spirit, has to be better than just praying off the top of my head or my feelings that are on my arms or my prayer list. Praying in the Spirit. I, I, I need to seek out Christian fellowship. Some of you are isolating yourself. Maybe it's because of shame or you just feel like giving up. Don't do it, friend. Seek out Christian fellowship. And lastly, meditate on God's Word. I'm telling you, friend, God your Father loves you. And He's written His words, His thoughts, His values, His promises in the Word of God, the Bible. And if you'll take time and read it, God will speak to you. And I, my friends, we'll be a survivor. Come on. Just like that little boy in that movie. The wilderness won't destroy us, but our God will take good care of us. He's a good, good God. How many can say this morning, Pastor, you're really speaking to me. I'm in a crisis or I'm in a hard time. Just wave your hand at me. This really resonated with my heart today. Listen, I'm going to encourage you before you go today. I'm going to encourage you to consider come letting somebody pray for you. And here's why. You're going to leave this building, and you're going to go right out and face the problem. And here's what Satan wants to do. Jesus told us about this in the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower when Jesus said the seed is the word of God? And the goal is to let the seed of the word of God come and produce a harvest in our life. But the first thing he said about the seed is it fell on a pathway, and a bird came and gobbled it up. And that seed didn't grow. And Jesus explained what it meant when he said this. He said, that bird, that's a dirty bird, that's the devil, and he wants to come and steal this sense of hope you have out of your heart. He wants to make you think like this was just some kind of good feeling I got in church, but it didn't help any. It's a lie, friend. Maybe you need to seal it in prayer with somebody today, believing God about the issue of your life, whatever it may be. We'll pray about anything. But the most important prayer we'd like to offer you today is about your relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, what I need is I need to get right with God. I, I want to know God in a personal way. See, if you were to ask me when I was a teenage boy, it, I mean, I went to church because Mom made me go, but I just thought God was kind of out there. He was the man upstairs. If I was in trouble in a crisis, I'd pray, but as soon as the prayer was over, I'd forget about God till I needed Him again. And somebody told me that I could have a personal relationship with God. Nothing weird and spooky, mystical, but just the reality that God's near every day. That Jesus wanted to be closer than a brother. But I had to come to a place in my life where I was willing to turn my back on my old ways and follow Christ. And Gideon told me as he gave me a Bible that if I would receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, Jesus would change my life. And on August 15, 1976, I turned my life over to God, and I began to follow Him. And listen, my friend, I'm telling you, I've got to change life, and it's real. You say, Pastor, I need that. I want that. I want to encourage you when we begin to sing, make your way over to the cross, not to join this church, but to let someone pray for you as you make the greatest decision of your life, receiving Christ as your Savior. Whatever it may be, we're going to uh, go ahead and sing one of this last song. Go ahead and begin to sing, and our prayer team is coming to the front right now. And if you want somebody to pray for you, just slip out of your chair. They're here for you. Most importantly, if God is pulling on your heart to commit your life to Christ, move right over to the cross. Somebody wants to meet you there and pray for you. I love you very much. Thanks for coming today. 
few moments our prayer team is going to stay down front if you need prayer for anything we love the opportunity to pray with you but if that's not you uh, you can be dismissed at this time we pray that you have a blessed week and don't forget about the casseroles up front